In today's episode, I'm very glad to be uh, interviewing a very special blogger, and uh, he has uh, uh, had an amazing impact for the movement of the uh, recovering the beauty of architecture in Europe, especially. But he's also done just so much uh, in uh, collaboration with others uh, and his great work at new traditional architecture. So don't miss out on uh, this one. We have a lot to learn in this episode. So let's dive in. The world in the West has become increasingly ugly. People are increasingly depressed, and big movements all over the world are now telling modernism, enough is enough. Join us on this podcast as we unite these voices and together recover the beauty of art, music, and architecture to uncover its significance for environmental stewardship, mental health, moral goodness, objective truth, and a vital spiritual life. My name is Magnus Gautstad, and this is Beauty and the Faith. I'm so glad to be here today. I got with me my uh, uh, new friend, Michael Diamond. Uh, how are you today? No, I'm fine, thank you. I'm very, very fine. I'm very excited here to, to be part of this interview. Uh, I am new to you, and, and you are new to me. You know, your, your project, the Church Square project, I find it very interesting. I'm so glad that uh, you appreciate it. We just had a little chat here before the interview, and we've been talking a little bit on Instagram there over our shared interest. And I'm just, we're just, you know, connected immediately. And I think many people feel like that when, uh, you know, our voices, you know, haven't really been been heard, and suddenly it's this huge movement, and there are so many who are thinking the like, and we start to see that actually. It's common sense. Most people really appreciate these things, and but uh, maybe people have just been conditioned uh, so much that they aren't really admitting it themselves. So uh, uh, it's very interesting to meet uh, different people in this movement and different areas. And today we're gonna uh, go deeper into the uh, architectural, especially that type of movement happening in in uh, in Europe and that has spread all all across the world, and also uh, Michael's uh, um, role in that. So let's just do a little introduction to get to know him better. So Michael Diamond runs the blog New Traditional Architecture and have participated in Swedish national radio, podcasts, magazines, and newspaper articles about why we should build new traditional architecture. He's continually updating traditionalists all over the world with photographs of new work around the globe. His online map of new traditional projects is vital as is his list of traditional architecture firms in scores of countries with their websites. The information he provides was fueled, uh, has fueled architectural rebellions against the status quo in Sweden, Finland, and elsewhere in Europe. And he has participated in creating a nonprofit to push that rebellion called Architekturopröre, or Architecture Uprising. Later that, uh, uh, he has also... Uh, several young people in a panel of students and postgrads from abroad, uh, and they have cited Michael Diamond's influence on their decisions to switch coursework from modern to traditional architecture uh, or to learn architecture without architectural school. And that's a very, very interesting uh, contribution you're making to this movement because one of the keys here is 
it comes back to to education, right? And inspire people to to be true there to um, um their values. Uh, so yeah. on his website, newtrad.org, you can find a long list of collaborations and appearances he has done in about um in his about section, like the summer school in classical architecture and urbanism in 2022, and also now in 2023. And for example, his appearance in the Aesthetic Cities video, The Revolution That Is Changing Architecture. And that just to name a couple, there's a long list there, and you should definitely check that out. So I think also it's very interesting that he, in addition to linking to archi- architects and education in classical architecture and urbanism. He also links to classical art schools. And that is also a connection that we are doing here on the show. Want to connect the art, the music, the architecture, because uh, we can all help each other to inspire people, work on the hearts of people, develop people's taste, education. Uh, So uniting this voice is one of the missions of uh, uh, of this podcast. So with no further ado, Michael, what would preserving and creating more beauty in this world lead to? Well, first of all, thank you for this very, very flattering introduction of me. I, I feel almost uh, shy. Uh, I would like to, to thank, you know, I, I've never done things alone. There have been so many people, you know, that helped me during my journey to, to create this great, movement, great movement. I've been a, a part of it, a great part of it. Uh, but, you know, Countless people have helped me uh, as much as I have helped them, you know, to to spread awareness of this. Uh, but to quickly go address your question, well, it depends on what kind of beauty. There is, you know, lots of talk about AI now, uh, and you know, uh, also because because we have replaced God more or less. Uh, in the Western world, of course, there are people that still are religious, but in the main, how to discourse, the societal talk, the, the, you know, you cannot use God as an objective standard. So instead, we use neuroscience now to measure beauty, you know, and we can create neuroscientific beauty. Very soon, we'll be able to use an ROI and it will create now neuroscientific beauty. It will be beauty that we know make perfect sense to our senses. It will be, how to say, in a sensical way, it will be masterful. But will it be with meaning, you know? I think it will be totally meaningless. So beauty must always, you know, be combined, both, you know, the, the, you know, the, aesthetic principle of, of proportions and scale, but also that it has meaning, a meaning that speaks to us. You know, it must have, you know, that's why, you know, the ornaments are so important because they both connect us to the past and to the future. So there must be, you know, not just beautiful beauty itself, but also a meaningful beauty that, you know, connect us and tells us who we are or who would like to be, you know, what our aspirations are. So, so yeah, now I'm also on the you know bashing AI train, but but it it can be a danger because I see the tendencies so much online that now that AI can do everything for us and, and just you know write something in ChatGDP and we create you know a perfect facade. No, it can create a dead facade. But you know I want I want human hands. It's so important that human hands has been part in creating this facade, and you know embedded it with meaning a transcendental meaning, you know, a belief in something, 
okay, I will not scare away all of you listeners. If you don't believe in God, at least be, believe in, in, let's say, some kind of higher moral standard or purpose. Not just, you know, vain beauty for beauty itself. Beauty to, to manifest something, you know, to show the refinement of, of thoughts and meaning and, and beauty of humanity and beauty of life. Mm. So what can it lead to? Well, it can lead to a lot of positive things. We, we can be very boring and talk about all the social research, you know, that there is on the subject. But generally, you know, people feel less stressed in beautiful areas. There's less a social behavior. Uh, and people identify more with, with beautiful areas. So beauty has a lot of, you know, if we take this cold fact statistical things, it has, has, has a lot of positive effects on, on human health, both spiritual and, oh, I would say, psychological and, you know, um, uh, the physical aspect. So that's the worst case scenario. Uh, what, what could happen if we build more beauty in the world? But in the end, we, we you know, bring more refinement. There's always a struggle in, in, in you know, man is, is a fallen angel. So there is, you know, both good and bad inside man. And so for every generation, and that has always been the case, you know, with the classical education to try to foster the great things in man and woman, you know, great, you know, we should not be less, you know, our good attributes should be lifted up and our negative attributes should be, you know, put down. Mm. And that's what, you know, what more beautiful architecture with meaning then, culture meaning can help to bring, to elevate ordinary people elevate ordinary man to have to say raise the bar you know the the lowest the lowestly educated should at least have some sense mm. of certain mm. things maybe don't understand and know exact history about things but feel a belonging and attachment to certain certain you know cultural values and, uh, and ideals mm. that, that's what, you know, what architecture art everything used to do you know, bring us aspirational values. Mm. And that's what it should do again. Exactly. So, uh, well, that's a lot of uh, great points you have right there about the the meaning and purpose. And uh, isn't that the two areas that would drive somebody out of despair and a disenchantment and a flattening of uh, worldview? If So one of the key features now of or fruits of this modern postmodern time we're living in is that very many are lonely. I think they are uh, the the type of flattening of experience has uh, uh, made people more lonely that they really can express. But there is like something like the the wonder of life has disappeared, and like you say, you become very earthbound, and beauty has throughout history helped people to to look up, to look toward ideals. Uh, to have aspirational goals. Have aspirations. And, no, mm. and noble aspirational goals. Mm. Not today's aspirational goals, that you become what you want and you are good as you are. You know, noble aspirational goals, to be better, mm. to be more kind, to be more humble, to reach further, but at the same time not be, you know, uh, a narcissist asshole, <laughs> right. because that, that's okay. That, sorry for the swear word, but that's a lot of you know what online culture does today. You know, mm. it it fosters narcissism mm. because narcissism is good. You know, if people use your social media platform, 
narcissists will use it extremely much and they will post you know it's always the worst people that will get the most clicks you know it's the bad side of humanity so mm-hmm. we really foster bad aspirations for billions of people at the moment you know through social media we don't mm-hmm. foster good aspirations we foster bad aspirations mm-hmm. um so yeah yeah it's um it's a it's a challenge out there, you could say. Uh, yeah. I think, of course, we can take the challenge. You know, every generation had their challenge. Uh, ours is very different. We have, you know, no problem with, how say, material conditions. We are well fed and we are well housed, all that. Mm. But then we lack, you know, the the spiritual meaning and then you know the ambitions because the culture has been so. Everything has been so molded in, in relativism and, and nihilism and postmodernism and, and uh, also now with the whole woke movement in the U.S. It's, it's very strange to say, you know, because the U.S. has become the new Soviet Union. You know, when I say that, it's not that it has become communist, but it has become an exporter of bad ideas worldwide mm. because many people learn English as a second language, especially here in the Nordic countries. Those that don't are lucky, you know, because they are not exposed so directly. Mm. But then you get exposed to these bad American ideas that spread all over the world, you know, that, that have, have victimhood as your, your greatest attribute. You know, everyone strives to be the most victim, not to be the most noble person, but to be the most victim. Mm. And everyone is vile and, and uh, foul mouth, mouth and, and, and yeah, really, really bad characteristics. Mm. And wh- why do you think that? Uh... Some people want to destroy beauty. Do you think that is a unconscious process, of, of um, or why would well, why wouldn't people want to be waking up and transcendent and get more, be elevated toward being better? It's a good question. Uh, well. I'm not a Calvinist, but you could almost believe in, you know, pre-descent, you know, that some are, some are meant to, to be bad. No, I, I don't know, really. I don't roll. Uh, it's as always, you know, people search, you know, man is lazy in general in the way that we search for the simplest answer. Mm. And if someone is offering us, you don't need to change. It's the fault with the world. A certain percentage of the population that are not mature enough will buy this because you prefer to believe in a okay it's not a beautiful lie but you prefer to believe in for them a beautiful lie than an ugly truth that you need to change yourself Mm. that you need to raise yourself be better Mm. oh it's the world's fault you're a victim Mm. so the ideology the ideology of uh, of modernism it has a very strong impact on then how they choose to express music, how they choose to express the art, the architecture. Um, yeah. but it's what... everything. It's everything. It's, it's more. It's not only art, architecture, it's poetry, it's writing. Hmm. There are so many. You know, does anyone care anymore about artists? No, I don't. I wouldn't say no. You know, except for the bubble of the artist and the culture journalist, and that we somehow have been taught that we must give them money. No one cares about artists because no one, because no one expects them to create anything good. Hmm. Of course, there are classically trained art, uh, artists that create wonderful masterpieces. But in the whole, you know, like with, with architects, 
No one have an expectation of an artwork. It will be something strange. Oh, but then you have, uh, of course, you have everyone who's admiring relatives. I don't understand it. Some does. I don't care. I go on with my life. But it's not that they are elevated as some kind of national heroes. But we know all, all talent. There's never been so much talent in the world as there is today. Mm. But it's 99.99% led wrong. So I think there were more talented architects and artists during the 1500s in the world than there are today, just because today, despite there being a thousand times fault more, or, or people that have the chance you know, to, to elevate their, their, their talent, they are all led in the wrong direction. So uh, an overwhelming majority will never express their talent in a positive way. They, they will do other things. But not, they will not create beautiful or meaningful art. They will not create beautiful or meaningful architecture. They will not create beautiful or meaningful poems, uh, literature, anything. It won't happen. And and how how do we lead all of these artists? And uh, we can also say craftspeople and architects and everybody who has the potential to bring in more beauty and more elevation uh, and more uh, doorways into transcendence and also uh, you could say also uh, doorways into coming closer to god the ultimate meaning and perfection and, and transcendence experience there uh, but uh, how do we lead people in the right direction? Because it seems like we got to go back a couple of steps uh, and some needs to kind of just, you know, just deal with the status quo and kind of just reduce the the, the, the destruction happening all the time, right? We, we got to be working with the politicians to stop certain things. We got to work on cer certain things, but we must also, right, uh, think a bit long-term and some change need also to come you know, uh, there needs to be training done. There needs to be a conscience change. There needs to be a heart that is awoken to some of these values and, and see that this is connected very much with love and service to other people uh, instead of just self-expression, which um, kind of becomes a bit of a myth now. Are you talking about expressing yourself, but how far does that really empower uh, yourself and other people? Um, but, but what do you think we, we need to do to lead people in the right direction here as, as a as a bigger movement yeah but architecture is an excellent feature for that through the architecture uprising you will get a renaissance in painting you will get a renaissance in poetry you will get a renaissance in a lot of other fields and why because architecture is easy to sell to the public 99.99% of the public does not have architecture as their main interest. But they vote with their feet. And of course, they like beauty. So it's an easy sell. It's an easy sell and it affects people very much directly. You, know, you walk outside and you're exposed to architecture. Um, poetry and art is not niche, but, but it's, it's a little more separated from your daily life mm. in general than architecture is. But what architecture movement is, that it gives people a voice to understand both to question the relativism and understand that they are not alone. Mm. And they are, how to say, they are conditioned now. They have been conditioned to be indifferent and to just believe that they are alone. Now they are conditioned, they have a voice, they have a meaning, and that they are the majority. Mm. And they don't buy the bullshit anymore.
Mm. So through that, it will spread. You know, the more successful the uprisings are, the more it will spread to all the other fields in culture. Mm. But mm. how to say the easiest way to make a change is, you know, more or less the, these populist architecture movements because it, it can engage people. What the success with the, the uprising is that engage people that normally does not have your architecture as a main interest. Mm. You know, of course, if you go to an architecture page, you will find a lot of people that have architecture as an interest. But the great thing about the uprisings is that it's ordinary people. And when I say ordinary people, they are not ordinary in a way. It's everything from, from doctors to janitors. So they are experts in their field. Uh, but they are not, you know, they have, they have other things in life that interest them. Mm. Uh, and great is that. Uh, but they are drawn in to the uprising. So when you have established the fact that beauty is not relative, you that think that beauty have some objective qualifications are the majority, and that you are allowed to say this in public. Because the modernists have been there, there, you know, there is this trinity how they are successfully suppressed, you know, and, and a critique of it. Um, so they're also allowed to have a voice. You're allowed to say that you dislike this. It will open the floodgates for everything else. And because traditional architecture is, you know, it's holistic. It's not only the building. It's the pavement. It's the street lamps. It's the interior paintings of the stair um, staircase. Or how do you say mm. the, the stairs inside, you know, the building? Yeah. Mm. yeah. So everything, you know, it, it will cross-pollinate to all the other fields, mm. this movement. And I think... Uh, if you take there is a, there is a uh, Norwegian organization organization there there is this uh, uh, Norwegian painter called Nerdrum, mm. uh, and all he created you know he, he's a he's a he calls himself a kitsch painter but he, he's I hope I don't insult him by calling him a traditional painter because he wants to go even back before art schools and to have you know his his vision of creating art is you know a master and students with apprentice, not, not art schools. Uh, but anyway, and through his forum, his sons has created this, this uh, uh, intellectual debate forum called Cave of Appels. Uh, and they created a lot of series about excellent, you know, discussions and interviews about philosophy, uh, about art. And it, it was successful. Their videos that are most used are about architecture. Mm. So that's why I also understood that you know the vehicle for change in all the other fields comes from architecture because that one is easiest to captivate the public because you need the public's help to overcome you know the modernist establishment that sits on on the art schools, on the literary forums, uh, everywhere in the culture. Mm. So, so architecture will be just the ram that will open up mm. all the other places. Mm. That's my theory, that's my personal you know, thinking of it. I can, of course, be wrong in this, but as it looks, this seems to be you know, how, it will, how it is and how it will become. Mm. I think you have a lot of... Um... 
I think you have a lot of good points uh, and and that the way to actually bring about for everybody listening here who might be a musician who want a classical revival and and bring about more quality in of music it might be in your church it might be in just your local concert halls uh, to bring about more objectivity more of the the classical, uh, you know, Baroque and classical era romanticism and these type of things. Um, maybe engaging more in actually the architect movement happening yeah. now because this has some momentum will be one of the best investments you can actually um, mature people's taste for yeah. beauty so that they will also start to listen and watch uh, different things because... Yeah. in like for me, it happened with music when when I was uh, uh, studying a book called "Listening to Western Music" in a musical appreciation course in San Francisco, and I was kind of forced to just listen through, not not just listen to to music, but actually to um, have ear training and to understand what was happening. So I actually increased my ability to listen and understand what was happening, and my whole character wanted to change after that. I wanted to be more of a gentleman. I wanted to, I started to look at the, the city in a different way. I, I started to to want to be, to, to find something above this world, something mm -hmm. that was more wonderful. And uh, I think it can go the other way too, right? It can start with the architecture and that might be something which is the most relevant, the thing that we, that's most in our reality. So, so that is very encouraging uh, to hear. And uh, actually, yeah, jump on the train, jump on the architecture train, and yeah. people will, you know, gladly with open arms, you know, see what you can contribute. And and of course, you can contribute to the classical architecture. As I said, it's it's everything is holistic. Mm. So there will be a great need, you know, in the olden days. You know, it wasn't necessarily the architects that made the you know the ornament. It could be an artist that just made, you know how the facade would be decorated. Hmm. So, and as I told wall paintings, wall decorations, there were so many craftsmen involved. So, so jump on this train and uh, also learn from this movement how, you know, how to, how to sell to a public that is exposed daily by a hundred different, uh, you know, a million things that, you know, wants their attention. Hmm. In all this, you know, the architecture uprising have succeeded, you know, in penetrating this and make people listen. Mm. So it can also be a way, you know, of course, if there can be a music uprising, feel free, you know, feel free and we will gladly help you, help you about it. Mm. And just show, you know, the difference between, you know, there is a lot of new classical music composed, but it's not for, for orchestras, I would say, it's for film music. Yeah. So everyone knows a lot of new classical music, but as much as, you know, the people that have talent in drawing have moved to computer games, those that have talent in composing, they compose film music now. You know, the Star Wars jingle, uh, all, all the you know classical Hollywood movies. Everyone knows, you know, the how the, the lead uh, song, and it's all classical music. Mm. But we don't think of it as classical music, but it is. Right, right. Yeah. That's, a, that's a very good point that uh, um, classical music and excellent in music have found different means of uh, uh, expressing itself. Uh, and I think it's very interesting you say that uh, no matter how we want to com contribute in this uh, in this movement for 
recovering the beauty and and uh, preserving the beauty that we have and creating more new beauty that definitely some some people got to be the 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 you know wake up bells and and the informers but some people got to be the investors some people got to be the creators and actually do it right some people got to yeah. Go back and study. So we all have different. We and we all need each other. We're like a, a big body here, yeah. which which needs each other. And uh, when we can come together, uh, we can really make something happening. So, for example, with for with musicians, they could have how it how the music used to be in a classical hall, how it is now. Or, for example, with artists, how it used to be uh, um, a great piece of art that people really loved or say that they love and how it is now. And people can kind of see the contrast and they will start to say, you know what? Is this really progress? <laughs> you know, the, Has the last hundred years really progressed us toward the, the greatest uh, sense of elevation and, and human flourishing and maturity? Or have yeah. we taken a major step backward uh, in almost like a primitive way? And uh, some people might say you, you, you just erased, you know, two or three thousand years of history. And, you, you know, when you the modernists claim that we should just, you know, break with all tradition and suddenly you, you become like an infant again. So um, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, of course, that, that, how the, the whole modernistic view is that they equate our technological progress with our spiritual progress. Hmm. And, and nothing could be more false. Uh, I mentioned this, uh, you know, in, in a lecture I have, you know, what if you if you read, you know, if you read literature or if you read the Bible or Buddhist text or or the works of Marcus Aurelius, they recently came a, a new translation of, of uh, Marcus Aurelius. You know, he was a Roman emperor. His works, you know, his stoicistic thoughts. Um, and they are 2,000 years old. And what he says is as relevant today as it was then. Because we as humans have not changed. We are the same humans you know, as we have always been. And our thoughts are exactly the same. They are not more refined or less refined. They are more or less exactly the same. So just because we have more technology does not make us superior. On the contrary, they created all this marvel without all the technology that we have. Can you just imagine, you know, writing a text with a typewriter? You cannot go back and you know and change. I'm, I'm really impressed, you know, how people how people wrote just 30 years ago, you know, before computer age, because mm. I do a lot of writing, and you can't go back and edit. Right. It's you know, so so they so many things they've had to be more talented because they had less means, mm. and you know, proven they created cities and architecture that we cannot recreate today. We still haven't created a new building or a new city district that is as good as the one built more than a hundred years ago. Mm. So how can we be superior to them? You know, it, it, it's insane to even claim that. But that's the whole modernist mindset. But how to say what they teach in schools is that they don't teach you. It's not that they don't teach you history, but they teach you and make you uninterested in the past because mm. the past were bad they were bigoted they were racist they didn't like a abtqa or, or you know they didn't like these things and therefore they nothing can be learned from them uh, only today you know it's a tabla rasa only we are the enlightened only from us one can learn 
past is only bad. It's like a dark age or something. It's really, you know, it reminds very much of, you know, every cultural revolution that has been, you know, in the communist world. You know, everything before is bad and only the new is the way. So mm. in that way, you cut off, you know, thousands of years of wisdom and experience and you create this insanity that people believe that they are the first one to have ever thought about certain subjects. You know, it's it's really impressive, you know, that people believe that they are somehow that people haven't thought about things, but you encounter it. Okay, Twitter is not, you know, the best place to 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 find intelligent people, but there are quite many also there. But but you know, the the sheer stupidity and the hubris that people believe that they somehow are the third one to thought about this problem or that problem, that no one ever in history had thought about these things. Mm. So, so it by by learning, you know, by reading history, history and literature, you become more humble and you become more respectful, and you realize that they were the same people two thousand years ago, and in two thousand years from now, you know, time hasn't ended yet. Uh, we will be the same. We may probably have more advanced technology in two thousand years, but as humans, we will be exactly the same. And it doesn't matter if we have ships that makes us more intelligent. What life will be about will be exactly the same. Love, children, sadness, uh, anxiety, betrayal. You know, all these subjects that, you know, all the gate literature and all the religious texts take up and have you know talked about, you know, for thousands of years. It will be the same subjects in 2,000 years, in 3,000 years, 10,000 years. Maybe the setting is different. Maybe the technology is different. But we as a humans, everything will be more or less the same. Hmm. That's, a, I think, a very interesting point. And you do touch on, you know, the, the deeper earn, yearnings of humans is basically, if you boil it down to it is, why am I here? And then we have death and, and eternity. You know, you have yeah. this these two questions that I think many people want to distract themselves from as much as possible. And, well, and you do that without the relations that you have in life, you know, mm. your, your, your love interest, your children, your parents, people at work. You know, if, if you, uh, I find it very amusing to read uh, Marcus Aurelius. Uh, by the way, uh, yes, he's, he's the same in English. I just thought if they had, had a different English name for him, um, because he sounds like you know a, a social security lady, you know, because he's so he's so you know people are really mean and stupid to him, and he's so forgiving all the time, you know. It's like, I, I read him myself. They, they, uh, yeah, yeah, they don't understand better why they try to poison me or such. So it's, it's really yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, uh, so uh, this 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 podcast is about beauty. And the faith, which is basically a ripoff of Beauty and the Beast. But the, one of the reasons why I wanted to have that name also was because there are many discussions and even books that are called something like Beauty and Faith. And there's mm. been discussions about um, the the connections between these two. You know, the true, the the good, and the beautiful is uh, something that has been discussed for uh, throughout history. And if you take away one of these, the others tends to go away with it uh, and i just yes. wonder um do you think uh for um for those who who wants to 
bring people out of depression, bring people out of a despair, bring people out of the type of dryness and flatness of life. And they think that beauty is one way of loving other people. And um, do you think also that that can lead people to faith, that beauty is a way to faith? Uh, do, do you see any connections through those things? Well, that has always been the case of, of the Catholic Church, you know, that beauty should inspire to more faith. Okay, I'm Lutheran, I'm not Catholic, uh, but, but that's, you know, the thought process of the Catholic Church, you know, to, to manifest, try to manifest, you know, part of the divine, you know, the transcendent into material, you know, at least get a glimpse of it. Uh, so, of course, people, beauty can elevate people's spirits. It can lead people into faith. A good question. It can certainly help. It can certainly, you know, give people a spiritual feeling, you know, and make, you know, help to make meaning to all the words and the Bible stories, or at least open them up. You know, the hostility to faith, if you want to break down in, in the Western world, or let's say the European context, if you want to break down the hostility to faith, you have to reprogram people a bit. Because now they have been taught for so many decades about all the bad things that the church did and the church was strict and that and that and that. And they don't learn all the amazing things that we wouldn't be sitting here in, in this civilization. If it were, there wouldn't be a civilization at all in Europe if it wasn't for the church. The church, you know, has been essential. Uh, I read a, I haven't bought it yet, but I will buy it just these things that how the catholic church um, the church you know changed marriage habits of europeans and why europeans are so different from all the other ones because the church forbade cousin marriages so that's why we don't have clans traditionally in europe we have you know we have we have more a different relationship to each other to society uh, and to power and that really was a, a social revolution that the church brought. And that's why Europe has been so ahead, you know, of the rest of the world because of the Catholic churches. And then, of course, we can talk about university, patron of arts, spreading of literature. You know, all, all the early literature of like every European country is Christian literature. And, of course, the Bible, you know. First, not translated, but later on translated, you know, in, in the local language. So how to say, so you have to break down. Beauty can help to make people more curious. And then slowly you can break down the acquired hostility to religion and faith that they have. And when you have broken down that, then, of course, they'll have many, many questions. Is that possible? Is that possible, etc.? But then they are at least open-minded, and then you can discuss fate with them. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're <laughs> touching on many important points there. I, I actually saw a, a talk uh, yesterday where they're talking about a pre-conversion experience, and actually that is something in in my life before 
I came to faith, the Christian faith, I had some pre-conversion experiences, for example, of, of being very present, spiritually present, and, and being aware that there is sort of a presence. If you, if you wake up to it, there's a presence there all the time. Uh, and that's kind of like a judgment in one way, but it's also like a mystery. It's a little bit, it's like a mix between a piece, but there's also something that you can't really name you, you're not re really able to put words on that experience but for me just waking up uh, and to be more present being more in the moment things like that and uh, through art and the development of music all of these things you know it, it calmed down my life to being able to to do things for its own sake and to really like uh, get my uh, attention span widen and then that is when i w was kind of I had enough room to actually start thinking about, you know what, Every all the time since I was little, I always had this this fear of eternity, that you, you die uh -huh. and there's this never-ending time after that just never ends. And I remember every time I thought about that, it was like, I, I just got like, oh. So, so if you saw me when I was like 15 years old, I would have a bass guitar on my back. I would have a skateboard in my arm. I would have my Thai boxing equipment in the left arm. And I was going to see my girlfriend nine o'clock. And it was like, I filled my life with activities all the time because I, if I really calmed down my life or if mm -hmm. I went into some sort of um, discipline, that needed attention and where I was sitting with myself in solitude, those thoughts of eternity just came back to me. And I, I that led me to live a very unconscious life uh, until that became unbearable because life started to become so meaningless in my, my the beginning of my 20s. And I started to like ask myself, is this really all there is to life? You know, I've been living 20 years, but I don't really think there is much more to it. I already tried drugs. I already tried chasing this and that and doing everything. And, mm. and, and it becomes unbearable, this feeling of the, the meaninglessness. And I think so many are feeling the same. Um, but, but they are afraid. Yeah. I would say yeah. I wouldn't say that they are afraid, but I, uh, they want the same experience as you have gone through. But even if they are surrounded by it, they will not allow themselves because they have been conditioned that religious is bad, focus pocus. So they have this negative wall that shields them from coming to belief. Mm. So breaking down this, yes, just see them beauty. So they at least, so, oh, so like, like I open a little crack in this wall, you know, oh, at least they bring beauty. And then they can hear about all the other things that the church have brought. But then it is a tough swallow for money because it is a revolution. Because in, in the modern psych and in this postmodern culture and the woke culture, everything is okay. You are okay. Do whatever you want and it's okay. And that's, you know, the mainland churches is, is what they preach. Everything is okay. Do whatever you want. Everything is okay. But that's not Christianity or Islam or Judaism, you know. The, the faith promise, but it also demands things of you mm. to become a better human. You must act to do things. You must act with self-restraint, with control, try to be a better person. And if you do that, there is forgiveness. But if you just, you know, do whatever you want and such, 
that's not the road to salvation. That's the road to hell, more, more or less. And when I say hell, yes, even if you don't believe in hell, it will lead you to your personal misery. You know, all faiths have dealt with, you know, both Buddhism and Judaism, Islam and Christianity, this notion, you know, that, you know, all, all the things, you know, money, sex, women, all these things, they are part of life. But if you chase them, it it ends up badly. You know, you become empty and depressed and lonely. So they are part of life, but it's not them that you must chase or worship. That is something else. They are part of life, but they should not be elevated as they are in, you know, the modern modernist culture. Mm. They are part of life, but there are higher goals. Self-restraint is something beautiful and good. And if you only care about the psychological and don't have God in mind at all, it will lead to happiness, to have self-restraint. Self-restraint will always lead to happiness in, in every every way. Eat less, exercise more, do things that you need to do despite you're tired, you know, dragging yourself up. I hear what you're saying. So there's certain virtues of, you know, of modesty, yeah, modesty mm. and, and self-control and all of these things that, you know, was a kind of a an honorable life that we were searching for that these there's some wisdom there that we might, when we do create more beauty in the world through architecture, art and music, that people will be more interested in, in actually learning about these things that, that, that where this came from, all of this, this, this mm -hmm. wonderful, uh, um, uh, this wonderful creativity. I, I wanted to just touch on one last thing here be before mm -hmm. we wrap it up today. And that is, I, I remember seeing a video, uh, Audun from the Architectural Rebellion in Norway, which uh, passed away this year. Uh, yeah. I got a, a very short chance to have a contact with him and uh, just just was just quickly uh, in a comment field on, on Facebook there when he was just using, I think, one thumb at the end there to write. And uh, he, he really fought to the end. It was very inspiring and touching. Um, but you can see that he's part of the, the, the Intbau and also in relation with that, you have the Prince Charles Foundation and Prince Charles, he is a believer. And I remember that Audun, which through history has been kind of a, uh, he's, he's, he's not been a, a believer, but he had a respect for Christianity. And in this project, in the Church Square Renewal Center, I hope that even uh, if we have some disagreements when it comes to faith, it might be between Catholics and Christians. It might be bit, uh, between, um, you know, um, people who are who don't believe in God at all that can understand that in a beautiful, hospitable, uh, urban planning environment, uh, churches has always been a part of that ultimate sense of beauty uh, and. I think being supportive that we keep on building beautiful churches and building the squares is something, even if you're only interested in the psychological parts and seeing the Bible more from the psychological angle as Jordan Peterson would do, uh, even if you only are there when it comes to, to, to faith, uh, that there is a certain respect for the church and for its um, potential 
to express this attribute of God and that that this is something we should encourage and even come together and helping uh, uh, because of uh, the, the positive, like the many positive reasons it can have. So I, I hope that um, both this this podcast, which is Beauty and the Faith and the Church Square Renewal Center, and we're going to have an event called Together for Beauty, that we can actually come together and put some of the disagreements aside and understand that beauty will uh, strengthen all of our different goals and that we can learn from each other. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, so that there will be a sense of a, a respect there and understanding that the church has an important role. It has always had an, a tremendous important role in the elevation of beauty in societies you know, of the Western civilization. And that no, no, is part of only, what we should look at. Mm. Yeah, no, not only in Western civilization, in all civilizations that have been you know, of different faiths, even if we too are Christians. The thing is, okay, if not a church, there need to be a public building there. Because there cannot be just a, a city without higher ideas. So if you have the, the European city, you know, there is a, a height limitations. So, you know, so commercial and residential buildings, they're of equal height mm. and rising above them are the churches and the public buildings. Mm. It's a way also to signal what is important. Mm. We're talking about, you know, conditioning the good in man, the spiritual and the public, they are more important than the commercial and the residential. Mm. And that's why you have the church square with the, you know, the tradition was the church, you know, towering over the residential mm. to show which ideals the society have. Mm. So, okay, if they don't want to build a church, I would, of course, love them to build a church square. Let's have a great uh, rathaus. What is that in a... Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> a town hall. A, a town great hall. town A great town hall there. But something elevated right. something that is high like higher aspirations right and something that is higher than expressing yourself and doing something new uh in in architecture because it haven't been done before uh, so you're not copying anything and kind of expressing and, and using the the public scene as your way of expressing your your kind of your taste you I think I heard that from somebody in the architectural rebellion or uprising that, uh, you know, that is things to do in your own close type of uh, modernist uh, museum where people have a choice to go in there. But when yeah. it then comes to uh, the public square, that there should be something elevated that is beyond the profit, beyond the individual, because a way out of this is really to stepping out of the tremendous selfishness that the ideology of modernism is spreading. And with that, uh, I have been invited to uh, uh, architectural um, uh, uh, teaching session on uh, classical uh, planning institute so i'm actually going to head over there right now in this minute so we need to end okay. it here i'm sure michael we could have sit here and talk for another hour this was so rewarding many deep questions uh, are left unanswered and unconcluded here so uh, uh join us in the common field on youtube and and let us know are, are we off here is are there anything here that is important we should go deeper into on the show remember you can uh, also uh, uh, listen on itunes and spotify and we are also on instagram church square renewal center and uh, beauty and the faith uh, so again thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, today and i uh, looking forward to stay in touch Thank you very much for, for having me.